Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. The Bible compares believers in Christ to strangers and exiles, people whose home is not in this world or this time. What does it mean to be an exile, though? When you think about how it feels to be a stranger, the thoughts that come to mind are apathy, alienation, and even powerlessness. But what about hope? In this episode, we're going to think through the implications of the exile metaphor in the Christian life, how it's been misunderstood, and how, when you think about it, there's something surprisingly optimistic about this concept. One of the developments in my own journey of faith since I gave my life to Christ in high school has been from, on the one hand, seeing salvation as a kind of means of leaving the world behind, that kind of a view, towards seeing salvation in terms of the new creation that we hear of in the, in the New Testament. There are lots of conversations revolving around the nature of salvation and I think part of the, the issue for me as an, as an early Christian was feeling like it was, all, it was all about getting to heaven when you die. It was kind of the, the main thing. And so a lot of theologians have been saying, well, hold up, hold up. I'm thinking of Tim Keller, people like N.T. Wright, bringing us to focus on the, the new creation and saying it's not that we're just going to go to heaven when we die, but rather that the the ultimate goal is is God's going to redeem the world. And I've been learning that over the last 10, 15 years, I guess. So sometimes when I hear passages like the one you recently preached on, Pastor Mark, when we're told that we're still exiles on this earth, we're still strangers on this earth, not sure what to do with those things. Or I was thinking of a passage from first John two, where he says not to love the world. Those sorts of sorts of warnings are all over the new Testament still. And there feels to be a little bit of a tension going on. So I want to talk about that specifically about that idea of, of being strangers and exiles on the earth, like Hebrews mentioned. So I know there's a lot here, but maybe my first question is, what is the author of Hebrews getting at in that passage when he's talking about these men and women of faith being strangers and exiles? Yeah, that's a good question. But before we, we get to it, um, I think we should say something about the um, problem of that first view of salvation yeah. that you mentioned, that idea that it's mainly about making sure I go to heaven. Yeah. Because I think people could hear that and and think, well, right. I mean, isn't that the point? Like, I I, I want to go to heaven, so mm-hmm. getting that settled isn't that. I think that that phrase is one from my childhood that came up again and again. Getting that settled, mm-hmm. that question of of your eternal destination, the idea being that once you've settled that, you can kind of just get on with pursuing other things. Mm-hmm. You know, get that question settled and then go live your life. Mm-hmm. Um. That, I think, is part of the challenge of that view of salvation, which 
is not wholly inaccurate, but it reduces a big thing down to like one narrow aspect of it, important though it is. And it gives the impression that once you have taken care of that one little area, then everything else is sort of just up to you to sort of pursue whatever dreams you may have. Yeah. For for me, it was once you figured it out, nothing else really mattered at all. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like compared to eternal salvation, why does my homework matter? Why does my career really matter? You know, in right. the grand scheme of things. I, th- I think, you know, it'd be natural to to say, well, well, they really don't. Mm-hmm. And so it can be liberating to have this bigger view of God's salvation and recognize that he's at work in the world, mm-hmm. in the church as a people, not just in us as individuals, although he is at work in us as individuals as well, but he's active in all those different planes and, and more besides. But one of the things that happens, I think, in that recovery of that, that fuller, richer understanding is that it does tend to encourage a, let's say like a, a positivity towards the world mm-hmm. that feels like it's in tension with those passages you're referring to where we're warned about loving the world too much, um, our need to recognize that we're not of this world. And so that brings us to Hebrews 11 and and this catalog of heroes of the faith. And specifically in in the passage that that I was referring to in the sermon, we're talking about patriarchs because we're getting a a list and then that list is interrupted with a sort of overview Mm -hmm. describing their situation. And so these are, as I said in uh, the pulpit, these are the people who are farthest away from the fulfillment of God's covenant promises because they're the first to receive them. And so they can only glimpse it from afar. But the way the author of Hebrews talks about them, they are sojourners and exiles. They're like travelers, you know, strangers in a strange land. And that's literally true in Abraham's case, right? He has to to move from his home to this this new place. And in the lives of each generation, you see some dislocation until finally in Joseph's life, you know, he's in Egypt and eventually all of the people of Israel will be in Egypt with him. So it's not a metaphor. Yeah. Right, it's it's a literal truth. They are literally exiles, and of course, throughout the course of the Old Testament, that that literal condition, which will become metaphorical in the days of the kingdom, will become literal again mm-hmm. when the kingdom falls, and the people are once again find themselves in exile. Right. So, that idea of not being at home in the Old Testament has a richness to it because a home is promised. There's a land that is for God's people. When they seek to inhabit that physical land, though, it doesn't really ever happen the way that it was intended to. Mm-hmm. Like even from the beginning in the book of Joshua, it's, it's, not, it's not going in the sort of eschatological way that people would have expected with this physical kingdom. And it doesn't, as it continues either, so that eventually we realize that these are promises that will be fulfilled in a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. Mm -hmm. Which means 
the physical realm that we are living in is not where the promises will be fulfilled, or at least not where they will be fully fulfilled. Hmm. So that is why we need to think of ourselves as, as strangers and exiles, essentially because our home isn't here. The way that those patriarchs thought of themselves and spoke of themselves, the author of Hebrews says, that suggests they knew that this wasn't their home, and they were looking for a city made by God, not by man. And that's the parallel, that, that we too are called to look for the city made by God. So New Jerusalem, the spiritual kingdom not to ground our hopes in this life. And maybe that's a good way to think about it, not, not so much land but life. Uh, if we switch our metaphor a little bit, right. uh, the point is our reward is not in this life, it is in the life to come. Just as our home is not in this land, it is in the land to come. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But it sort of brings me full circle to high school Cameron thinking, mm-hmm. well, this isn't my home. I know my spiritual home is with God in heaven. Therefore I'm just going to kind of sit around and, or, you know, or the only thing that matters are spiritual things. So that's where I can almost see kind of a dualism introduced there where some people would pit the, the spiritual against the physical and if, if we take that interpretation, it sounds like you're saying this, like the spiritual fulfillment is the thing that matters most. The physical stuff seems almost Old Testament. Right. It's, it's a little bit like um, a hotel room versus a house <laughs> that you own, right? If I'm going to trash him someplace, I, I should trash the hotel room because I don't live there. Yeah. And I can leave my, my mess behind. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of people who, at least theologically, think of this life or this world as the equivalent of a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And if they don't care about it and they don't treat it well and end up tearing it apart, that's okay because none of this is really going to last. None of it really matters anyway, right? Yeah. So... That makes perfect sense based on what we've said so far. But we haven't said everything <laughs> about exile and living as an exile that, that the Bible does. right? So if you think, again, analogically, so the people of Israel don't have to speculate about what it's like to live in exile. They get sent into exile mm-hmm. and have to live there. They go into Babylonian captivity. Now, if you took that idea that we've just described and you applied it to their situation, you would think that God's instructions for them while in Babylon would be trash the place, <laughs> or at least don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get caught up in what's going on here. Um, you know, don't put down roots here. This is not your home. Just you know, if you can't leave, if they won't let you go, fine. But but you can make them miserable by acting up and you know just being your worst self because it doesn't matter, yeah. right? Because you're not at home. Yeah. But the prophet Jeremiah famously in his letter to the exiles gives that word from God, and it's not that. His instruction for how to live as an exile is not trash the place, <laughs> you know, burn it down, or even 
you know, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, be a transient. Don't put down roots. I mean, they're told to essentially build houses for themselves, plant vineyards, to have children, to marry, and to essentially thrive and flourish where God has placed them. Not only that, but also to promote the well-being and the thriving of the place where they find themselves. Mm -hmm. So even though they're in Babylon and it's a godless place, they're meant to promote the, the flourishing of Babylon. They're meant to want the city they find themselves in to be as good a city as it can be. So that suggests to us that how we live as exiles might be similar. Hmm. You know, that, that on the one hand, we're, we're not of the world, but we are, to use Christ's terms, in the world. We're not out of it. And we have to live as if we're in it. And as exiles, that means contributing to the life of the world. It means, you know, making things more like the life to come or the city to come and using what influence we have to witness to Christ and to testify through our actions to his goodness. So it's not a sort of nihilistic withdrawal. Yeah. But it's also not a wholehearted embrace. It's it's something in between. Like you talked about a tension mm -hmm. earlier, and I think there is a tension, but it's a productive tension, right? That each of its poles is sort of keeping you from settling in too much one way or the other. You know, on the one hand, we have to serve this place, and to serve it, we need to love it. But there's also a sense in which we shouldn't love it. You know, we have to be on guard against it, right? And so there's there's a, a need to always be reminded, I think, wait a second, we're exiles, we're strangers here. Don't get too comfortable. Yeah. Do you think part of the problem comes from the way we use the word world in the conversation? Mm -hmm. Because I've, so I've heard theologians interpret the, I don't know the Greek word in the New Testament that gets used for world as more of not like the planet Earth, mm -hmm. but like a domain or a a regime or a way of life, right. you know. And and so when John, for example, says, "Do not love the world," he's not talking about like the tree in your backyard or you know a painting or something necessarily but but kind of this overarching way of living without god or yes. something is do you think well so i we don't even need to have much access to greek to see the mm -hmm. the the variances there because you know john is telling us not to love the world and john is also telling us for god so love the yeah, world exactly and it's not that there's always two different words for world, that he doesn't mean the same thing and that the English obscures it. It's that's the nature of language, right? That, that the idea of the world has multiple facets. So sometimes when we talk about the world, we're talking about you know, creation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we talk about the world, we're talking about what we might think of as, as like a, a system, a structure, or a culture. Right. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear us use the word culture constantly. 
and we're using it in a way that's more or less synonymous with how the word world is used sometimes in scripture. Mm-hmm. So that I think is 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 right that because of the complexity of the language we tend to be selective in how we hear those words mm-hmm. when really the the nuance you find in scripture ought to result in our having more nuanced ways of thinking about these same things the the problem isn't that we're using the word badly mm-hmm. or that scripture is somehow confusing the problem is that we're not really formed by scripture as much as we ought to be and so our idea of the world doesn't have the the sort of full orbed sense that that it does in scripture but yeah. but yeah again tension right mm-hmm. that that in the idea of the world there's a tension between the corrupt fallen human systems all around us and the created order that god made and will redeem and when we think about the world we're thinking about both of those things and it's important for us to distinguish because one of those things is passing away and one of them is being remade and so when when we say you know we're not at home in this world we're specifically talking about that fallen human system because this world in the sense of creation is going to be our home. And that's a point worth thinking about that, that um, the reason why that idea of getting settled, the question of, am I going to heaven is such a big question for us is because we, we often have in the church, you know, a kind of a semi Gnostic understanding of what the gospel is promising. Mm -hmm. The idea being that if I give my heart to Christ, then when I die, my spirit will leave my body and my spirit will go for eternity to be in the presence of God in heaven, which is not the Christian hope. You know, our hope is in bodily resurrection and spirit and soul being united with the body once again in this restored creation. So when we say this world is not our home, we only mean that in one sense and not the other, yeah. right? In the sense of this is the created realm that God made, then yeah, this, this is our home. This will be our home. Uh, he is fashioning it into a place for us uh, despite the, the effects of sin, but that hasn't happened yet. And so I, I guess, I mean, if we were looking for metaphors you know, we might say something like, you know, when I moved into my house, you know, it, it's over 100 years old. And so some parts of it are better than others. There are parts that, that could really use some some remodeling and repair. But we moved in and we couldn't do all that stuff. And so over time, we did what we could. And we had a sense that, you know, it was it was one day going to be all that it should be. But but right now we weren't there yet and i think you know that there's a similar way that we could see the world that we live in right that it's it's not it's not home in the fullest sense but we do intend to live here yeah. one day yeah. you know this is it is going to be refurbished and remade uh, remodeled if you will but but we're not there yet and so those are the the those are overarching tensions and if you think about 
what it means then to live as an exile, I think that metaphor helps a little bit, you know, because it's, it's like living like an exile, like living in a house that, that is going to be remodeled or, you know, living in a, in a place where you're going to have to wait for your permanent accommodation. Like you're on the list, (laughs) but we haven't gotten to you yet, you know? And so there's a, it's not, utterly transient it's not still living out of my suitcase and and not making friends and things like that yeah. it's just recognizing that as i live there's there's something waiting for me and there's something fuller and richer that that is to come and everything that's happening now will you know reach a kind of fullness then that's that's really helpful i i think part of the reason why that phrase, the world is, this place is not our home has always bugged me is that I just cannot understand like what, what that would mean for, for a human to not be at home in the world that God created us to be in. Right. So the way that I think about it is the solution reaches both back to creation and forward to the new creation. So God created humans to be in this world and, you know, when we look back at Eden, there was a kind of harmony there between all the parts and man at the center of it. And he was at home, you know, in, in, in that sense, he was, he was home. And just as God intended. So that's creation. And then, of course, we have the fall. And I think that's where we introduce this, this idea where it's like all of a sudden we become literally exiles and strangers and then spiritually exiles and strangers and the redemption that Christ then purchases is kind of is is restoring that, not just bringing us back to a state of innocence in the garden, but towards that new creation. Another thing you said in your sermon that I actually wanted to apply to this was that faith is a is a way of like borrowing from the promises hmm. of the future or the you know the pro- the things that God promises. Faith kind of like reaches forward towards those things and brings them into the present. So I was thinking, one, that's a really cool way of thinking about it. And, but two, trusting in God's promise of a new creation is like reaching, reaching forward and trusting that this world will be home, even though it's not yet. Sort of like living, living in that difficult tension where like I know that things are not as they should be, and yet one day Jesus will make all things new here. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that that moment in Hebrews 11, right at the beginning, where we're told that faith is the substance of things hoped for, if you reflect on what that means, it does really have that that feeling of something being taken from the future and given to us in the present through faith. Um, again, maybe just sticking with my, my home improvement metaphor, yeah. <laughs> when we redid our kitchen it took us i think 10 years between buying the house and actually redoing the kitchen and one of the first things that we had in that process was the the faucet so we chose the faucet before a lot of other stuff and and i remember having this faucet in the box in the living room and opening the box and taking it out to look at it from time to time and then putting it away. And then we would, you know, 
kind of go forward with our lives, but then we're like, hey, let's take a look at the faucet again. And we would get that faucet out and we look at it again. And it was early enough in the process to where it was still possible that nothing would happen in the kitchen. You know, we had kind of gotten this faucet as a sort of, um, like we're making a commitment here. You know, like if we, if we don't go forward with this, we're going to have a faucet we don't need. Yeah. So this is kind of our way of saying, you know, this is going to happen. It's, it's a, a guarantee that this Pledge. future event is going to take place. So you might think that in a, in a weird way, we had gone into the future with that finished kitchen, taken the faucet and brought <laughs> it back so that we could look at it and sort of imagine what was going to happen. And that's kind of what faith does, you know, and that's the significance, I think, of, of um, in 2 Corinthians 5, when uh, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit as a guarantee the Holy Spirit is essentially like like sealing us and and giving us tangible reassurance that the future that has been promised really will come to pass. So if you think about it, the gift of the Spirit makes a lot of sense for the life of exile. Wouldn't really make a lot of sense if not for exile, but it, it's because of the exile, it's because of the, the separation that we are given this spiritual strength, this comforter, this one who will speak for us and who will intercede when we don't know what to say in prayer. You know, all of the, the let's say, the quote-unquote logic of the Holy Spirit as a gift to us in this age presupposes this understanding of how we're meant to live now. And so that, I think, is, is helpful because the, the sense of exile is not a sort of nihilistic, depressed thing. When we say that we're exiles, it's not just us trying to say it's important not to form friendships in this world or something like that. Uh, there's a, a book, one of my favorite authors, Albert Camus, wrote a, a book of short stories called Exile and the Kingdom. And not surprisingly, they're all, you know, more or less depressing <laughs> stories of, of uh, loneliness and isolation and, and, you know, being sort of out of step with the world around you. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't think, is really the sense of this metaphor of exile for believers. The, the point in Hebrews 11 is not, you know, the patriarchs all felt really alienated from the world around them and realized it was because this world was not for them. They weren't. I mean, they were, they were building communities. You know, they were doing their best to, to live in the land and that sort of thing. It's just that their hopes were focused optimistically on the future. So when you think of exile and think about it, being a stranger in this land, don't think negative, depressing connotations. Think hopeful, optimistic ones. Because if this land, if this world is what it appears to be, then you don't want to be at home here. Mm -hmm. Like the, the hopeful thing is to be able to say, ah, this is not my final stop. Right. I actually have a home beyond this. Mm -hmm. That's... Hopeful.
I've been thinking about this. I think it's a Richard Niebuhr quote where he says, nothing worth doing in this, nothing worth doing can be accomplished in this life. Therefore we must hope. Hmm. It's, it's, it's a part of a larger quote, but nothing worth doing could be accomplished in this life. Therefore we must hope. And I think it's getting at that where, yeah, yeah. you know, your, your view of what's important has to expand beyond the limits of this life. Otherwise you'll despair. And yeah, there are, there are times where that's obvious and times where it's not so obvious, but I like what you're saying that the, the time of being in, in exile is really a time to, to build, even though it's something that you cannot accomplish yourself, you know, and it's not, it's not building a city here to use the language of Hebrews, but it's, it's participating in the kingdom, which will become the new city of God. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's true to say that all human beings, if they're honest, have a sense of exile. Yeah. That all human beings, when they, they think about how they relate to this world, see that it's not as it should be. They see the, the difficulty and, and, those words of Niebuhr would resonate with them. They'd recognize there are so many things they do that really cannot be accomplished in any perfection in this life. All human beings have that sense of exile, or should. Not all human beings, though, have that sense of home Mm -hmm. that comes with it. And I think that's the tragedy because they should go together. The the sense of our unsuitedness to this world, I think the only way to face that is to have that hope in the world to come. And so, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, yeah, it's good if people are awakened to the futility of life under the sun. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. But not for its own sake. You know, we, we want to, to understand that we're exiles, but we want to understand that we're exiles so that we can recognize that our home is in the city God is preparing. Yeah. I have to correct myself. It was uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. <laughs> okay. <laughs> two, two Niebuhrs. But yeah. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for this discussion. This is something I think about a lot. I think especially as a, as a creative person, I am, I'm interested in paying attention to this world mm-hmm. and to, to, you know, seeing its many textures, to seeing what's going on around me and as a poet describing it. And I think there's a temptation to to get too comfortable or to Yeah, just to to feel to feel overly comfortable or to despair that you know, that there's there's no hope. And I think the gospel sort of splits the difference there and brings in this radical new new hope that that I need anyway so appreciate the conversation thanks for listening to the commentary if you've enjoyed this episode you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media you can subscribe to the commentary on apple podcasts spotify and stitcher to find out more about us online visit graceforsufalls.org 